decades spending mass focused on alleviating poverty. British public's trust in charities is declining. Funding pressures are increasing. Technologies like blockchain are revolutionising our work. The SDGs are crucial to ensuring no one is left behind. Power is shifting to the global south. The Bondcast, exploring the debates in international development. Hello and welcome to the Bondcast. It's been a turbulent few years in British politics, from the Prime Minister's unlawful prorogation of Parliament to the daily twists and turns of Brexit. The UK is facing a political maelstrom. Over the last few weeks, the political parties managed to hold their annual conferences in the midst of this storm. But where does international development fit into all of this? Even with the looming threat of a no-deal Brexit, Bond and its members were at various political party conferences to build up cross-party support for international development and aid. But what do the politicians and MPs really think about international development? We want to cut through the party's rhetoric to understand how much they really support international development. And I'm glad to say we brought together some of the sharpest political minds from the international development sector to help us do this. First of all, we have Martin Drury, Director of Health Poverty Action. Hello. Second, we have Lucy Drescher, Head of Parliamentary Advocacy at Results. Hi there. And last but certainly not least, we've got Ali Stivey-Harris, Head of UK Influencing at Save the Children UK. Hi. Let's set the scene for our first question, and apologies for being so (laughs) open-ended. But what would you say each of the political parties, or at least the main national parties, are saying about international development and aid? So I would like to start with you, Ali. Right, so if I start with the Conservative Party, we've had three Prime Ministers who have committed to 0.7% of GNI on overseas aid. So David Cameron, Theresa May and also Boris Johnson. And throughout that, we have seen a commitment to the Department for International Development, which is all really positive. In recent weeks, we've seen some really strong commitments to education through the Education Cannot Wait. We've also seen um, a piece in The Times uh, more recently from Alok Sharma, the new Secretary of State, on ending preventable deaths of children under five. And something which I thought was really positive was the UK stepping into the space of family planning, where the US is beginning to withdraw a little bit. Saying that, I think the one thing that has affected the Conservative Party's policies and visions on international development has been quite a churn in secretaries of state. So we've seen quite a few different secretaries of state. And of course, that is going to impact the overall vision and and strategy of the department. And at times, it's felt like each secretary of state has brought in their new issue or thing that they are particularly interested in. And those issues aren't bad things. So for example, Penny Mordaunt's focus on disability, I think was really welcome. And a lot of sector felt like um, it was a good time for the department to be doing that or Justine Greening's commitment to girls and women but there are a few areas that I saw some change and it was a while ago but 2015 the Conservative launched their aid strategy and there was a few funds that came out of that which I think have some question marks over them. So, for example, the Conflict and Stability and Security Fund um, was given an amber-red rating by ICAI, and as was actually the Prosperity Fund and the Newton Fund. These were big cross-government funds, and they haven't really been doing as well as I think we, the sector, would hope that they would do, but also um, ICAI, which obviously is the um, Independent Commission on Aid Impact, is really there to stress test how aid 
is being spent. And just the last thing I say, my assessment on that is that what some of these funds have tried to do is they have tried to look not just at what works for countries, but what what works for us. And they've tried to frame things um, a bit more in what helps the UK. And I think it's really interesting that they haven't done as well as perhaps um, the Department for International Development would hope. And I wonder whether that is because we don't have a, a, a really clear focus on Actually, it's about poverty reduction first and foremost. But that's not to say that there is no uh, vision for the Conservative Party. One thing that I think has come across really strongly in the last couple of years is a focus on economic development and jobs. And whether you agree with that or not, it is a part of their mission statement. Lucy, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this. So just moving on to think a little bit about the Labour Party, having been to an LCID event recently celebrating their 10 years, so Labour Campaign for International Development, they are undoubtedly very proud of having set up DFID, about appointing the first cabinet minister to represent this department, Claire Short. And um, they have a real sense of, of pride around that, I would say. When Kate Osamore was um, Shadow Secretary of State, she um, launched a policy paper, A World for the Many, Not for the Few. And this really um, focused on a feminist approach to development and also a global movement for public services. This took a while to happen and really set a tone for the way she started to ask questions and her team started to work. And the current team has chosen to continue with this policy paper. They haven't decided to abandon it. And they are really focused on the um, public services that are free at the point of the use and also the idea of a centre for UHC, um, for universal health coverage, which is something that the Labour Party have been talking about for a long time. And they really seem to be developing their thinking on that one. And also addressing inequality comes through really, really strongly in all their thinking, all their questions, all their ways, all their approaches. So I think that sort of sums up some of their thinking. Shall I move along a little bit on the Lib Dems? They have recently launched a new policy paper on Britain at the heart of changing the world. And there's a section on international development. The SDGs comes through very strongly. They really want to keep coming back to the SDGs. But they also talk about gender equality, climate change and the environment, human rights, inequality and technology. So they're covering all the subjects too. But like many of the other parties, it is a small section within a bigger paper in terms of ways of thinking, I would say. A couple of thoughts to add to those good summaries, which is one thought about the extent to which all the three, all the main parties are the same, and then just three where I think for me are probably the most significant differences. I think one of the most significant points for Health Poverty Action's uh, analysis is that if you asked most of the UK public what the differences were between the main parties on um, international development, they were probably mostly, unless they were particularly informed, think that they'd all got more or less the same position, which is just, is, is basically just about age and about 0.7. And I, th- I think that's probably the fundamental problem that we have in the development sector, that there's increasing public hostility to that narrative and the narrative isn't working for us. Not Defending 0.7% is important, but the, the aid narrative, that sense that, that that message that comes across, that the UK is a generous benefactor of the world's poor and that's what we need to continue doing. In an age of austerity, you know, that, that, that narrative, uh, first of all, generates resentment and secondly, it generates scepticism because people don't see poverty particularly decreasing. 
So I think that's that's an extent to which none of the parties are really doing anything new in terms of the message that comes across. I think three areas where they're particularly different. One is, I think, that the Tories' specific statement that the use of 0.7 has to serve the national interest to the point that DFID staff would actually even have to write a paper on how this particular project they're working on will serve the UK national interest. On um, Labour, I think it's that quite groundbreaking, I think, uh, change to, uh, but it hasn't had much profile, but the change to make DFID's role not just about poverty reduction, but also about reducing inequality. You know, so both of those two things are quite fundamental different uses of 0.7, which will appeal to different sectors of the public. And then the third one is something that just the Greens and Lib Dems address. And that's, I think, one of the most neglected development issues of all, actually, even within the sector, is the war on drugs. So uh, as a driver of global inequity, you know, racial inequity, all kinds of, uh, of development problems. It's an incredibly important development issue. And uh, Lib Dems and Greens, Labour do give an, a slight nod to it in a world for the many. But uh, it's only really uh, Lib Dems and Greens that have addressed that to any serious extent. Some quite interesting thoughts there. There are always issues we're breaking through to the public and when we're talking about specific aid issues and the things that we care about and campaign on. And so it's quite interesting to say that uh, your thoughts on this were actually, regardless of what the political parties do, there's not much change in the, the public discourse. And I think one thing that probably hasn't helped this actually is the massive turnaround that we've had in secretaries of states. And like I mentioned before, and Ali, you alluded to where we said actually each one comes in with a different priority. And so I would like to just pick this up and say, in your experiences, how has this impacted your efforts to build up political support for the international developments? I mean, has it? Does the change in priorities bring out different people or actually is large in part, is it all the same? Well, in terms of generating public support for development, what we find is that it's focusing on inequality, which is the the key to getting people more on side. Because I I think particularly when people are suffering hardship domestically, then uh, the idea that we have to be giving money away uh, doesn't play well. And the trouble is that, that that narrative puts ordinary people in the UK on the opposite side to ordinary people in the global south. And if instead we focus on the extreme inequity in the world and, and say that the job of development uh, isn't about charity, it's, a, it's about global justice and it's about holding to account the, the global elite, the global corporate elite, uh, clamping down on tax dodging, clamping down on corrupt and unaccountable governance, then that's a narrative that most people can buy into. Yes, the idea that we would be tackling extreme wealth and accountable power and channeling the resources released into strengthening those who are at the moment suffering on the cutting edge of injustice, that then puts ordinary people in the UK and ordinary people in the global south on the same side as each other. And it's a narrative so that, that plays much better. Uh, the trouble is that as soon as you mention the word aid, you're into a, people's minds goes to a different place. So we're trying to, I'm trying to avoid using the word aid in this actually. I think, you know, global equity fund, anything that talks about reducing inequality rather than that sense that of just charity, I think takes us to a much more fruitful place. And one would then assume then if you get public buy-in, then you then therefore it translates to political buy-in because MPs listen to the constituents and... That's exactly it, because I think that most of the key spokespeople for for all the parties are facing that same problem, that they sense public hostility and distrust of 0.7 and they're wanting to try and change that. But we need a new narrative to change it, I think.
And how about you, Lucy? So with this quick turnover in Secretary of State and the jump from priority to priority, have results noticed any change in political support and has this helped or hindered your efforts? I don't think it particularly changes our political support for issues because we continue to work on the the same issues despite changes of of Secretary of State. So we we build up our champions amongst um, parliamentarians and um, they continue to be supportive. I think the biggest difference is our language. So how we express things, whether we mention extra things, whether we mention gender more often, whether we mention disability more often, whether we mention climate more often, I think that changes. So the things we write for parliamentarians in terms of their questions, their speaking in debates, um, their briefings, those sorts of things. And then the kinds of things we would write to respond to DFID and um, our inputs into DFID meetings, I think that would be our biggest change rather than whether our our ongoing champions actually change in their way of thinking. Because I don't think they do. I think they continue to support our issues for a reason and build up their knowledge on issues. And Ali, do you have any thoughts on the, the quick turnaround in Secretary of State's it's relatively similar to what's been said. I think Save the Children have a really clear focus on children. And if you ever see us wandering from that, I think we've got big questions to answer. But one thing, I think we sometimes try and use lenses for our work. So we're always going to be interested in kind of the human development. So whether that is education, nutrition, uh, maternal health, all of these things that impact children on a day-to-day. But one of the things that we're trying to do is, is talk more about marginalised children, vulnerable children and um, leave no one behind agenda, which is perhaps not what all MPs want to talk about, the leave no one behind agenda, but it is something that we just make sure we keep on talking about. I think there's something about not bending to the political... Uh, flavour. And that's not to say that we won't work very closely with the Secretary of State or DFID. Of, of course, we would. It's more about saying that we're not going to say, actually, um, nutrition doesn't matter as much to us anymore because the Secretary of State has decided that X and Y is important. I think we're all really passionate advocates for our cause. So I'd expect that most NGOs would kind of stick on that path. And it what might change is that you might find that your thing slips from the very top of the agenda and you might feel like you have to work a li- that little bit harder to make sure that your issue is in parliament and is being spoken about. In terms of champions and, and MPs, they have been quite consistent, I would say. It's really interesting actually when SMP uh, swept uh, into Scotland in that, I think it was the 2015, I was quite fearful because we were losing some really amazing Labour MPs who had done a lot for international development. I can't speak to what they were doing in their constituencies, but they were they were big champions for us. Um, and the SNP came in with the exact same energy for international development and it was it was really, really positive. So that, that churn in Parliament actually produced just different champions, whether that's Patrick Grady or Stephen Gethins or Chris Laws. They have really picked up that agenda and run with it. It's it's great that you talk about champions in Parliament because we've actually been talking to a number of stakeholders right across all the political parties to hear what their own personal thoughts are as to why they think their party supports international development. So first up, I'm just going to play you a clip from Professor Miles Wickstead, who is the chair of the Lib Dem International Development Group. Hello, everyone. This is Miles Wickstead, uh, and I'm going to explain in very short order why the Lib Dems support international development. Uh, our policies are set out in a paper that was agreed at last year's Lib Dem conference, Uh, The paper's called Britain at the Heart of a Changing World, 
Uh, I'm going to quote two very brief paragraphs from that. In the liberal internationalist tradition, conference believes that people's rights and aspirations are universal and that we should fight poverty, oppression, hunger, disease and aggression wherever we can. Conference calls for a liberal strategy to restore pride in Britain's place in the world at the heart of global networks, working to reinvigorate the rules-based international order, championing British values and interests, and promoting peace and security, prosperity, people, and the planet. That motion and the paper were um, agreed at conference, um, and I think two very important points to make here. The first is that all elements of our international policy are important. They're not mutually exclusive. They have to go together. So our commitments and obligations on defense, on diplomacy, on international development, and on our soft power assets uh, all have to be uh, to, to proceed in, in tandem. And we should give all of those things adequate resources, including, of course, the commitment to 0.7% uh, uh, of our GNI for international development. The second thing to say is that these aspirations in that paper are linked very strongly to the Sustainable Development Goals, which ought to be the, um, the touchstone for all our efforts, both internationally and indeed uh, domestically. The Sustainable Development Goals give us a framework for hope and optimism. Populism comes out of pessimism. We need a positive framework to guide us towards uh, 2030. Uh, that is what uh, lies at the heart of uh, Lib Dem uh, international policy and uh, specifically our policies on international development. The Lib Dems were crucial to getting uh, uh, legal uh, agreement on the 0.7%. We continue with that commitment. We will continue to do everything we can to support international development, to support um, uh, DFID's work, uh, one of the premier international development organizations uh, in the world, and to support the quality which it embodies. Uh, it's a part of who we are in just the same way that uh, our foreign policy, our defense policies should reflect who we are. This is who we are at difficult times uh, as we move forward. This is the true global Britain. And next up we have Lord McConnell, Labour peer, former First Minister of Scotland and now Chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Group for the Sustainable Development Goals. Labour people support international development because our cause is social justice and our quest is to help deliver social justice around the world, not just at home. We are internationalists by instinct and we seek to help those who are furthest behind and living in the most fear to have better opportunities and safer lives in the future. I'm very proud that Labour governments helped set up the international institutions that have, for most of the last 75 years, helped deliver peace, prevent conflict and support the poorest parts of the world to grow. But far too many are still left behind. So the next challenge is to deliver the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030 and to go to the places where development is most difficult. Support peace building, support growing economies and improved livelihoods and give future generations a better chance. And that's the dream that Labour people have and why the Labour Party supports international development. 
Okay, and now next up, we've got Laura Round, former special advisor to Conservative Secretary of State for International Development, Penny Mordant. Firstly, the British public is one of the most generous in the world. But other than the importance of helping parts of the world that need our help, I think Conservatives recognise that aid is a crucial tool of British foreign policy, which wins influence, builds relationships and exports our values of freedom, equality and the rule of law. Understandably, there is some concern about corruption and aid money not being properly spent. However, the government has improved its expenditure immensely. And when spent well, aid lifts people out of poverty, opens up new markets, improves international relations and can benefit the donor as well as the recipient. For example, building a healthier world helps to ensure a healthier Britain. Building a safer world keeps Britain safe and building a more prosperous world builds a more prosperous Britain. And of course, climate change does not respect borders either. International development isn't just the right thing to do, but it is also in our national interest. It is a win-win. And finally, we have Chris Law, SNP MP for Dundee West, an international development spokesperson for the party. The SNP supports international development as we place great importance in Scotland being a good global citizen. We want to play our part in contributing to sustainable development and tackling global challenges, which include poverty, injustice and inequality, within the framework of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. There are a number of huge challenges ahead of us across the world, but one of the things we passionately believe underpins a large number of these challenges and needs addressed is climate change and climate justice. It is therefore an urgent priority and needs to become a central focus of all aspects of international development. Tackling climate change and ensuring climate justice is essential in preventing the long-term exacerbation of other issues within international development. Natural disasters, economic turbulence, war, poverty, disease and mass migration will all intensify as a result of climate change. We also believe in a greater focus on supporting economies in conflict areas as a stabilising influence that prevents political vacuums from growing, descent into poverty and desperation. We are clear that international development funding should be people-centred, transparent and aimed at tackling poverty and inequality globally. International development should be the national interest of our partner countries and not in the UK or Scotland's own national interest. Helping the poorest and most vulnerable and alleviating global poverty is a defining feature of international development and we have a moral duty to work towards achieving these aims. Therefore, anything less is not only a complete dereliction of that moral duty, but also an absence of humanity. So there we have it, some in some very interesting views from some very important people amongst the parties. It's worth noting that, with the exception of Chris, of course, who is the official spokesperson, these are the personal views of these people within the parties and it doesn't necessarily refre- reflect the, the the party's official position. Although, actually, it's some really interesting insights, I think. I'd just like to open this up to everyone, really, about your reactions to this, maybe starting off with um, you, Lucy. Yeah, just listening to them, I think there's quite a lot of difference in how they view the UK in relation to the countries who are receiving aid. And that's a definite difference in terms of um, what Laura Round is saying about the way giving UK aid benefits the UK and the countries who receive it. And the difference in the way that's viewed is very different to how 
how Lord McConnell talks about it in terms of social justice and it just comes across as a very different way of seeing that relationship. And I think that is, for me, the strongest things that comes out is that that relationship between the donor and the recipient. I was thinking that, um, again, something that I picked up on was uh, that it really felt like it was part of Labour's identity. So you get this strong feeling that it's sort of in their bones um, from Lord McConnell and about sort of a social justice movement. And you also got that from Miles Wickstead when he talked a lot about the liberal agenda and sort of this is who we are and it came across really strongly. And although Chris Law didn't sort of explicitly mention it, I think Scotland has obviously had a long history with Malawi and that and that sort of progressive international development also came through really strongly. Um, in terms of a law around, I think she picked up on things which are probably in the public conversation a bit more. So, yes, she was right to recognise how generous the UK are. I think sometimes we forget how uh, generous we are as a nation, whether it's sort of comic relief or these these national moments where people really do give to charities like ours. And she also mentioned sort of trust. And I think we all could be doing a little bit more in talking about development because I would say more positively that perhaps the corruption isn't as bad as some of the papers would like other people to believe and that we could be doing a little bit more to demonstrate that. I agree very much with the comments about the difference in the choice of wording, the choice of rhetoric between some of the parties. So uh, probably with, with Labour, the sense of it's all been about social justice and the fact that, that that can't be addressed. You can't achieve social justice in one country alone in isolation, that it's a, you know, it's a global issue and therefore has to be tackled at global level. So there was that sense that, uh, you know, that's why we're all in it together. You know, that's why we need to be involved in, in international solidarity and that 0.7 is part of that, you know, so a solidarity tone about 0.7. And then, yeah, probably the other, the other end of the spectrum, as Ali was saying, yeah, the, the Conservatives is more about it's in our own uh, economic interest. You know, it's, it, will, it will be good for us in practicable, tangible ways uh, uh, to give uh, more uh, aid as charity. And, and it's win-win, she said. You know, it's good for us, it's good for them. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the national interest, which came up quite a bit. National interest has been sort of at the heart of the conservative narrative on development for quite a while. But I did reflect that ever so slightly, I thought Alok Sharma's speech at conference for the first time started to move away from that and he talked about development because it's the right thing to do and there was um, a slight reduction in national interest uh, language which I think should be welcomed but also say that Britain thinks and the aid attitude tracker has done some interesting uh, polling and research into what the UK think about national interest and they don't buy it. They don't buy that aid is in the national interest. If you take something like the conflict in Syria, where so much aid has been pumped in, and of course I'm not for one moment suggesting that we reduce that or stop that, but this argument that that somehow comes around to help us, the UK don't really agree. And I think that all parties should really look at the language that they're using, because if one of your objectives is to buy in more public support, then you should really look at the language that you're using. And perhaps it's time to have a conversation about the national interest a bit more constructively. 
I think for me, the elephant in the room with all of them, and I think this is so interesting, is that no one dares to point to the things that, as a country, we do to create the poverty. You know, this is a sense we have to talk about British values, Britain's generosity, you know, the, the, the great nation in the world. And you know, mention that so much of the poverty, so much of the conflict was rooted in our history of colonialism. We don't mention that. Tax havens, you know, globally, what about $130 billion a year goes into the uh, 0.7 contributions to development? Probably five to seven times that lost to government through uh, tax dodging. And we facilitate the 10 more tax havens in the world than any other government in the world. We're in the top 15 for CO2 emissions, 36 billion a year lost to Africa because of climate change adjustments and unfair burdens of that. And that's a you know, question. Are we able to be honest with the UK public? Because it's not just enough to talk about giving aid to deal with the symptoms. We've got to focus on the causes of global injustice. And how can we really do that if we're not prepared to be, have open dialogue about the role we as a country play in causing it? Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. I think certainly from Bond's perspective, we've done a lot of work on the Sustainable Development Goals and actually one of our a vision for us and certainly for members is actually there needs to be a whole government approach to delivering the SDGs so you can't necessarily give with one hand and take away from the other. So yeah, that's quite an interesting uh, conversation that you've started there. Lucy, do you have any thoughts on this? I was just listening to what Martin was saying and thinking a little bit about how hard it is to be honest with the public. Yeah. The press, I think, make it quite hard and make it quite hard to have a proper discussion about development. And, and I certainly think um, this government and the different Secretary of States we've had have all been very aware of press interest in um, development because they, they need to be, they need to to be aware of what's being said about the work their department is doing and it has put a pressure on it and it's all coming from one point of view so there's there's been a very anti-aid kind of um, messages coming through in the media that would have made it very difficult to have honest conversations which is a real shame because I, I completely agree it would be much better to have those conversations but also had one interesting example so all the work on disability uh, building up to a big disability summit. And um, DFID and the Secretary of State were very aware that the, within the UK, disabled people are not always happy with what's been happening to them and that they weren't therefore necessarily so happy about this focus on international work on disability if they're not very happy with what's happening to their lives. So I think DFID and the Secretary of State were very careful in doing this in bringing UK disabled people in to be part of the event and also other disabled people from around the world. So the summit included every single panel had disabled people on it of all different um, disabilities, backgrounds, um, different countries. And I think that was a really important approach to draw in those people in different points of view and th therefore bringing the kind of UK and international together. And it was a really good example, I thought, of, of trying to address that difficult issue that we have, you know, in terms of, of UK and international and focus. Okay, so I'm going to ask everyone to get out their crystal balls and tell me, so what does actually this mean for the future of UK aid and Parliament? 
Okay, well, as I say, I think we need to stop using the, um, the, the word aid. I think as soon as we mention that word, we make it harder to retain 0.7 and we make it harder to address the, uh, the causes of, uh, of global inequity. So I think it needs a rebrand and I think it needs a new narrative. And I think that can be done. I think it's all about addressing inequality. You know, lifting up, strengthening those who are at the the cutting edge of injustice and uh, holding to account the global elite is about addressing inequality. You can rebrand the whole thing. And I think it takes takes us to a narrative that is more politically honest and it's more politically appropriate than the charity one. And I think it's got a much stronger chance of winning support from the UK public. So if I was... Uh, any party's election manifestos, that's how I'd be approaching it. Uh, The other big one that I just absolutely must mention, we ignore the war on drugs at our peril. Uh, drug policy is changing. A lot of people in the global south are and their livelihoods through the drugs trade. If those concerned about international development don't start to get involved in the dialogue about drug policy reform, then um, we, we put those communities at great risk because uh, there's great uh, danger of corporate capture of, of the drug market and uh, you know, the whole thing, the structure of that, that industry changing. And the numbers are absolutely enormous. The, we spend about, as I say, about $130,000 on 0.7% development funding around the world. That's about the same as we spend on the war on drugs. And the, uh, uh, you know, the way, well, it's too long to go into the, how that impacts on poverty in so many ways, but it really needs to be part of the development discourse, particularly as drug policy is starting to change. It's really urgent. Ali, they say that a week's long time in politics. It certainly feels that (laughs) in the last couple of months. But yeah, what's the future beyond the next week or two for for UK aid and parliament? So... This conversation, I think, has been a positive one in that we have shown that there is a cross-party support for a development agenda. And we should be really positive about that. And part of the reason for that is that we've got this really vibrant sector that work together and are really collaborative. And although I feel quite positive about the future of uh, development in Parliament, I would stress that it feels like we are in a fragile place. And so I wouldn't want us to sort of relax and think that we have secured this and we don't need to kind of keep on uh, pushing this agenda. And for me, one of the things that I'm thinking of a lot is the amount of MPs who are stepping down um, in the next election, whenever that might might be. And for many of us, we have relied on Stephen Twigg, on Jeremy Lefroy, uh, there are countless others uh, for years to be our champions in Parliament. And Parliament is changing, the Labour Party is changing, the Conservative Party is changing. Even if you just look at the MPs who had the whip taken away from them, quite a few of those are really progressive Conservative MPs who do a lot for us. You have two MPs stepping down in the next election who have worked in DFID. And that losing that support in Parliament is, is, is not great for us as a sector. So there are going to be new pressures whenever this new parliament comes in. There will be new pressures. And I think we need to start looking at that now. But the other thing I'd say is many of us sort of worked on the legislation uh, to enshrine 0.7. And part of the reason we wanted to do that is so we could stop talking about the quantity and start talking about the quality. 
I don't know if that has worked. I, f- I feel like we're still talking about both. But for me, the next parliament is really, again, to look at that quality agenda and making sure that the money that we are spending is spent well and is spent on the poorest people and is really focused on poverty reduction. Yes, I completely agree with Ali. Um, many of our really strong champions are stepping down and that's very difficult. And we are already starting to prepare ourselves for some of that. So um, we provide the secretariat for the all-party group on global education. And Harriet Baldwin has now agreed to um, be the chair as Stephen Twigg is going to be stepping down from Parliament, which is great because we get a a female Conservative MP who's who's got experience of DFID and and knows lots about education and and women's issues. So so that's been a sort of preparing ourselves for this difficult situation coming up. But I, I completely agree that's a, a big issue. I think there's some other things around actual issues that, that are coming up. So all of the parties are talking about the climate crisis and that's good and I think it will mean that DFID and ODA, uh, Overseas Development Aid, needs to, to, be, to be addressing that climate crisis and working out how it fits in with the issues it's already working on. So that's, I think, an upcoming issue that's just going to keep coming. And also the the whole discussion about human development and whether there's going to be a reprioritization away from focusing on human development. We certainly have been quite concerned about that and have been asking MPs to ask questions about it and write letters about it and that, that kind of thing. So that's something we're watching and, and feeling concerned about it. And we particularly think it's affecting bilateral funding, so the funding that DFID directly spends in countries. And that's something we're watching that space and preparing for just questions and asking things about that. Okay, so just to wrap up, so I think it's clearly evidence that all your organisations are doing fantastic work out there. What ideas or recommendations do you have for NGOs who are potentially new to public affairs and uh, the political environment? Have you got any tips for them on how to approach their own advocacy efforts? So Ali, I'll start with you again. Um, A healthy dose of self-care and a big cup of tea. Um, (laughs) Preach. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a, a really difficult couple of years politically and I think some of us are beginning to get a bit tired um, of that feeling of sometimes sort of uh, marching up a hill but my my sort of reflection is to keep going um, we are making a difference and we are making a difference collectively and one of the things I'm really uh, careful to balance in uh, my team at Save the Children is recognize that things are difficult at the moment we don't have necessarily the access or the time or the bandwidth to make or to have conversations with government but don't try and uh, make that an excuse not to engage i think extinction rebellion and all of the climate uh, crisis strikes that have been happening have shown that if your um, issue is really relevant and if it is an emergency then you can still act and even in this uh, time of uncertainty you can get people on the streets and you can mobilise people and I don't think we should just sit back and pretend like it isn't happening. I feel as worried about say the future of Yemen as I do on the climate and I, if I stopped talking about what was happening in Yemen then we wouldn't be doing anyone any favours. So I think there is actually some opportunity to continue influencing government and particularly MPs and actually an example on Yemen, we hosted an event, um, I think it was the week of the meaningful votes and we were a little bit concerned about the amount of MPs that would turn up and actually we had the highest engagement um, we've ever had with a parliamentary event and that was cross party. 
And the reason for that is that MPs know that they're spending a lot of time on Brexit. They still care about different issues. And, and in part, the continued focus on Brexit has concerned some of them that they are not looking above and outside of the UK. And so we've got lots of MPs turning up and being really engaged in the issue. So although it's been a difficult time, from, say, the children's point of view, in some ways our engagement has strengthened because people do still want to show that they're they're out there and they're interested. And the second reflection I've had is how active prospective parliamentary candidates are. And when I look on my Twitter feed, sometimes I think I am in an election. Um, And so it's just to start thinking about those PPCs and how we are engaging with them. I don't know when an election will take place. I have stopped making any predictions of any kind to anyone. But it is on the cards. So I think for charities to start thinking about tracking some of those interesting PPCs, some of the marginal ones, and just looking at how we can start positively engaging with some of the issues that we care about. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the first thing that we have to remember is is that the work that we do the, the, the cause of development isn't a technical one. It's not technical work we're involved with. It's political work. The solution, the causes of the problems were political and the solutions are political. So um, we've got no choice. You know, we, it's our duty. It's our responsibility to be involved in these debates and to be trying to influence uh, the holders of power. Uh, I, I, poverty, I think, I think, first of all, we think of poverty as being lack of, lack of money, lack of physical things. Fundamentally, it's lack of power. It's inequity of power. And the fact that we're involved in this work, that we have the programmes that we have, that we do what we do, gives us a level of political credibility. Not everyone will agree with us, but it gives us a voice and it's our duty to use it. Uh, Secondly, I actually feel, yeah, scared at the moment. Yet I also feel in some ways more excited than I've ever felt because I think it is a turbulent time and that's opportunities for new thinking, to create new narratives, to change things. And I, I, I think that that Labour Party shadow development um, uh, policy, well, for the many, was probably the biggest single shift in, in approach to development I've seen from a, a, a political party in my lifetime. So, you know, that's not in power, but... You know, anyone saying things, getting new arguments into the public domain can affect policies of parties that are in power. You know, so it's a complex dynamic. So I think, uh, as Ali said, you know, I think we should have a lot of hope, actually, and a lot of optimism right now and a lot of energy. Um, Just just going back to something Ali said about um, MPs being interested at this time, certainly David Linden MP, who's um, an SNP MP, we went to talk to him about nutrition and he said how great it was to hear about a different topic and how he was really keen to work on something else apart from Brexit. So he's been a really good champion at this time for us. So uh, we've found that parliamentarians may not want to talk about sort of aid generally or international development generally, but they are interested in specific issues. They are interested in education. Some of them have been teachers and that gives them a specialist knowledge on that. They are interested in nutrition specifically or women or girls. Whatever it is, taking an issue to them, finding out what they're interested in can be the beginning of a really strong relationship and then giving them 
actions they can do, questions, follow-up questions, briefing for debates, getting them to put in for debates, asking them to put in for debates, that kind of thing, can really raise the awareness of an issue. And we often hear, therefore, that a minister starts to hear about an issue, starts to think it's important because they're hearing from other parliamentarians. So I definitely think it's important to build up in that way once you've found um, parliamentarians who are interested in your issues. And for us, um, taking them to see things in country has made a massive difference. So um, many of the parliamentarians we work with most closely, we have taken them to countries. They have the opportunity to see the things that DFIS is funding on the ground, the meet people from the government and their, their plans um, within countries, and to meet parliamentarians and ask questions and that kind of thing. And they come home then quoting those trips and quoting people they've met and really getting a greater insight into some of the issues that are being faced by individual countries and being able to raise those things. So I think all those things are really important ways to build up um, parliamentary interest in all of our issues. So I, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I want to thank all of you for such a thought-provoking discussion. Certainly, I feel a lot more enlightened than hopefully everyone else did. <laughs> Often, advocacy is a long game, and most of the time, we're very much moving the mountain one stone at a time. As you've heard today, we as a sector need to continue to build that political support needed to ensure the UK continues to help the world's poorest. And you can actually do this with us as well. Please go to the BOM website or sign up to our newsletter for more insights and resources into advocacy for international development. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you did. Please do rate us or review us on your chosen podcast platform. Five stars. Okay, uh, thank you once again to everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.